Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. And I'm ABC's Deputy Political Director Mary Alice Parks. And we've got a bit of a special edition for you here. Uh, This weekend, Sunday, marks 100 days before the midterm elections. ABC News has been tracking a lot of these as part of our 18 for 18 coverage at abcnews.com and other platforms. And we're going to be rolling out some fresh content over the weekend, some revised races, including the race that you're about to hear from both candidates on, one of the most fascinating primary uh, races that's still on the calendar coming up in September, uh, the battle inside the 7th Congressional District of Massachusetts, a liberal stronghold, one of the bluest of the blue dots on the map, uh, including Cambridge and Boston uh, and some Boston suburbs. Uh, Mike Capuano has been the congressman there since 1999, and he has never had a challenge quite like this. Ayanna Presley, the Boston City Councilor, uh, taking him on in the primary. It's a great microcosm of some of the debates going on in the Democratic Party across the country and a good look at big themes, a theme of young women that are getting involved, that are putting their name out there and whether or not they want to reshape the face and direction of the party. And Ayanna Presley, uh, 44 years old, she is the uh, the first African-American woman ever to serve on the Boston City Council. She's being called potentially the next Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez. I've seen that headline maybe a dozen times at this point. And the comparisons are imprecise. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez, only 28, never run for political office before. Ayanna Presley has actually been on the city council, or for city council there uh, since, I believe, 2010. Um, and different backgrounds, uh, different experiences. But um, uh, one thing that, that is striking you know, the similarities between the opponents that they had in those in those cases, Joe Crowley, uh, the the, uh, the the Democratic uh, member of leadership who was defeated in that uh, incredible upset uh, in New York State, uh, the boss of the Queens Democratic Party. Uh, Mike Capuano was elected to uh, to Congress the same year, former mayor. Uh, in the district, and um, and is and is a a member of the Progressive Caucus, very liberal guy, uh, votes very reliably liberal, um, a kind of an Italian American Boston, or sorry, the Italian American Boston version of, uh, of of Joe Crowley's Irish uh, from Irish guy from Queens, uh, and the, the the so-called sin, I think that that uh, activists and and challengers in both cases identified really wasn't that they were voting wrong. It wasn't that Joe Crowley or Mike Capuano weren't voting with progressives enough. It was that they don't look the part or represent the part or they've been around too long. I think that they are different, though. Mike Capuano, like you said, a member of the Progressive Caucus, actually has politics further to the left than Joe Crowley. We might think of New York and Boston as these two big uh, liberal bastions, but actually Capuano has a pretty long record of being uh, for Medicare for all, for being very progressive in sort of budget ideas. I think that it's not necessarily fair to say that either one of those men had a sin. It's more a desire from Democratic voters to have new faces, new ideas, new perspectives, new activism in this era. And on that note, let us turn to the first of our interviews with the two candidates, starting with the challenger in this congressional race. Okay, so let's get started. Joining us now on Powerhouse Politics, Boston City Councilor Ayanna Presley, who is running for the Democratic nomination in Massachusetts' 7th Congressional District, uh, running against the incumbent there, Mike Capuano. Uh, Ayanna Presley, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I, I read recently you told uh, my old newspaper, the Boston Globe, that uh, uh, you were still working on your elevator pitch. A lot of people ask you the question, why are you running, and, and what sets you apart from the man you're trying to beat, uh, a 10-term incumbent in, in Capuano? So h- how, how is that going? And if you just give us three differences that you say that you're able to tell a voter, here's something that I would be able to do that Mike Capuano can't. 
Well, people often say that other than our, other than my age, race, and gender, we are the same, which on its face, um, I'm perplexed by that statement. Those are three major differences, uh, all of which have formidably uh, shaped my worldview, which means, uh, as I've proven on the Boston City Council, I think I spotlight and emphasize new and different issues. I think these times require bold activist leadership, which I bring, and this district deserves someone that will vote the right way, that will lead and will legislate. So I'm trying to get a sense of of what kind of form your leadership would take in this. If you say you would vote basically how Capuano would vote, and if you win the primary, you're going to be the prohibitive frontrunner, of course, in a very in a very progressive district to to win in November. So you come to Congress if you're elected in January. You're part maybe of a of a Democratic majority, maybe a minority. What 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 shape does this take? Do you do you see yourself joining with a, a younger band of more progressive members to with uh, on an offshoot of what the Progressive Caucus that Capuano has been a member of? Are they not doing enough? Is there room for? another group to get involved and engaged in that direction, maybe like the Freedom Caucus is on the right. The Democratic Party is a big tent. This is a long table, and there's room at this table for everyone. And I think this is some of what has gotten us into trouble is sort of labeling um, and um, segmenting in this sort of way. I think the party is in the midst of a bit of an identity crisis, grappling with whether or not we are the party of jobs in the economy or of criminal justice reform when these issues are conflated and they are the same. I think it is easy also to single-issue constituencies rather than to appreciate the intersectionality uh, and the totality of people's lived experiences. Um, What I believe is the people closest to the pain should be the closest to the power, driving and informing the policymaking. So I've dedicated my life to addressing the issue of economic inequality, the wealth and wage gap, structural racism, and gun violence. And every legislative victory that I've realized is one that was realized because I went to the community most impacted by an issue, and I sought their counsel, and we charted a new path together. What I'm saying is that these times require bold, visionary, activist leadership. This is the most progressive district in the country. Whoever's in this seat can be unrestrained, can innovate, can lead, and should be legislating. The 7th Congressional District is the most diverse district, and yet it is the most unequal across every outcome. And I'm running because I want to do something about that, to disrupt these disparate outcomes, to change the legacy of this district from being the most diverse and the most unequal. And might I add, although Trump is a deserving target, and we have to do everything we can in this new world order to both resist and to offer an affront to insult and assault daily to our senses, to our democracy, to our civil rights and our humanity, And if they're going to try to roll back every civil right and protection that we have fought for, every game for decades, I'm going to make it very difficult for them. I want to get back quickly, and it sounds like you have no no shortage of ideas. 
but I but I do we have a lot of questions to ask you and I want to get back to what, how you started talking about some of those things that were unique to your identity and that distinguished you from um, the Democratic uh, incumbent there your age your race your gender and representing the district in a real way bringing diverse experiences to the table because of your background and your experiences and I I understand as a woman for instance that perhaps a woman can understand me in some ways better than than a man. I, I, I very much understand that someone's own experiences can inform uh, their their um, their outlook and that that could be a unique part of being a leader. But is there a risk to focusing on identity too? Isn't part of being a leader understanding the issues that someone else who's totally different from you might be going through? And after 2016, there was a concern that Democrats focused too much on on identity politics and lost and lost sight of of broader economic arguments that um, might apply to all kinds of communities. Um, so, um, I believe the confluence of my lived experiences, both personally and professionally, uniquely equipped me and prepared me to represent the needs of this district. And I do mean everyone. Um, and my lens is not only shaped by my lived experience being raised by a single parent, having a father who battled addiction, was in and out of the criminal justice system, and being a survivor of a near decade of childhood sexual abuse and later campus sexual assault. I was also an aide on the federal level for 16 years. I cut my teeth working for the congressman who formerly served in this seat when it was the 8th Congressional, Congressman Joseph P. Kennedy II, and then I went on to work for United States Senator John Kerry for 11 years. But moreover, my lens is not just shaped by my experience, it's shaped by the people I listen to and I cooperatively govern with every single day. My position to defund and abolish ICE was one that evolved based upon the fact that I remained in close community and dialogue with those most impacted. Yes, true enough, there's a fight at the border, but the 7th Congressional District has the fifth largest concentration of Puerto Ricans in the country. 4,000 of whom um, are weather refugees from Hurricane Maria in need of job training and job placement, in need of transitional housing, um, in need of trauma supports for, for, for them and their, uh, uh, their families. Um, and the fight to keep immigrant families intact, um, again, is one that exists from the border to Blue Hill Avenue in Boston or Maverick Square in East Boston or Chelsea or Via Victoria in the South End. And so by working closely with those impacted families and by heeding the counsel of immigrant and refugee advocacy groups and coalitions who I've worked with for years, I went to them and said, here's some of my ideas. I want a clean dream act. I want a real path to citizenship for TPS holders. I want to remove the uh, immigration status from the census um, so that uh, brown folks are not being undercounted and in turn under-resourced in community. Um, I want to address the privatization of English classes so that folks can be more competitive in securing a job and more effective in advocating for their children within the public school system. And I said, and I'm looking at ICE. And we went through the conversation and, again, cooperatively governing. And ultimately, I said, we're at a watershed moment. You know, uh, this is not keeping anyone safer. Uh, this we're wasting resources on the prosecuting of children and families 
instead of dedicating resources to, to drug trafficking, to gun trafficking, and addressing real threats to our national security, um, trace, chasing this Trojan horse of a crisis that has been manufactured and created by this administration. And so then I get accused of being radically left. Um, and I'm wondering, when did it become a radical notion to affirm the humanity and the dignity of families? You, you talked about abolish ICE and, and the notion of, of being labeled as radically left. You've, you've, you're very close to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the big story of the summer in a lot of ways in Democratic politics, a huge rock star now, only 28 years old, in line to, uh, to, to, to be the next uh, congresswoman from Queens and the Bronx. A lot of parallels between, uh, between Joe Crowley and uh, Mike Capuano. Uh, I'm curious about your, your affiliation with Ocasio-Cortez and, and just flat out, she considers herself a democratic socialist. Do you feel the same way? Do you, would you consider yourself the same way? I'm a proud Democrat. I've been a Democrat since I was literally in utero. Um, and it has been my honor to be deployed and dispatched for this party as a faithful foot soldier to elect Democrats throughout this commonwealth and country. And again, I think we could, you know, get caught up in, in titles, but uh, the Democratic Party is a big tent, and this is a long table. Um, and so all are welcome to have a seat at it. And I know it is tempting to draw these parallels between the 14th Bronx and the 7th uh, Congressional District here in Massachusetts. There are some similarities, but there are many dissimilarities um, as well in this matchup. Uh, Alex's race is an inspiring one, as is she. I do not expect that I will um, inherit a victory based on the winds of change. This will be a victory um, if I'm so fortunate enough and humbled enough um, to win that is earned, and it is one that will be earned through a lot of sweat equity and through the building of a broad and diverse grassroots coalition, um, which we are building. And again, I just wanted to pick up again on the identity politics point and just say that I do feel that this is a charge that is only um, uh, called into play with women and candidates of color. Donald Trump ran the biggest identity politics campaign in history. And that is rarely, if ever, called out. So, um, do you think Mike Capuano plays identity politics as a, as an Italian American Catholic white guy from Somerville? I think that there was an overarching narrative uh, in the early uh, days of my candidacy that uh, repeatedly raised the question of identity politics, and along with that. Um, accusations of this being a vanity run, um, uh, accusations and charges of my being uh, sensibly traitorous for primarying a 20-year Democrat in a dark blue state. I think I'm demonstrating great loyalty to the tenets of this party. And democracy, a foundational tenet of democracy is choice. And I think this district deserves one. If uh, you were to win the primary and be elected, uh, be a new member of Congress, uh, would you vote for Nancy Pelosi to lead the party in the House? I think that is a premature discussion. That is certainly putting the cart before the horse. I've got, uh, I think, 42 or 41 days left to the September 4th primary. And I'm focused right now my, making my case uh, to voters and earning their support uh, at the ballot box. Um, I will say, though, that if we do see uh, an ushering in of fresh faces and new voices after these midterm elections, or even if we don't, that there needs to be a discussion 
um, within the party about the future of the party, the vision of the party, and what our platform is. And that will uh, ultimately lead us to um, who should lead it. And before we let you go, uh, Counselor, the one thing I'm struck by in this campaign and you, is you talk about the need to bring different backgrounds and diversity. It's obviously hard to beat an incumbent, um, and the Democratic establishment has largely rallied behind Capuano. Uh, but it's not just the old white guys. Uh, Congressman John Lewis, the civil rights hero, uh, former Governor Deval Patrick in Massachusetts, African American, they're both supporting Capuano. What are they? What are they getting wrong about you? and I have tremendous respect for every one of the people that you've named um, and I respect however they arrived at those very personal decisions um, you know and I respect their relationship and their history with my uh, with my opponent so you know all I can do right now is focus on um, again making my case to voters earning their trust and their confidence and their partnership. And I really want to underscore the word partnership. You know, I'm running for the 7th Congressional District because I do believe these times require bold activist leadership. And what that means to me is a leader that will extend the hand of partnership, that will empower community as a co-pilot in their destiny and their development and their visioning and their governing, and restore their hope. Restore their hope and redeem their relationship with government. We are at a crossroads, and we get to decide. This can be the darkest, most draconian time in our history, or together we can usher in the most inclusive, progressive, change-making movement in history. I see it. I feel it. Um, You know, and I know our time here is short, but I'll just say that when I embarked upon this race, I expected this to be very lonely and very uphill and very bruising, and my eyes were wide open about that. But my experience every day, I have felt that we have been building community and a movement every step of the way. And uh, most days I have felt uplifted. And on the days where I have felt otherwise, I was prepared. All right. On that note, Ayanna Presley, a Democratic candidate for Congress in Massachusetts in the 7th Congressional District. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. And good luck with the campaign. Appreciate your interest. Have a great day. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to the incumbent congressman in this race, Mike Capuano. Brought to you by Indeed. Used by over 3 million businesses for hiring, where business owners and HR professionals can post job openings with screener questions, then sort, review, and communicate with candidates from an online dashboard. Learn more at Indeed.com slash hire. There's a lot coming at you right now. Turmoil, tweets, an insane amount of chatter, I'm Brad Milkey with ABC News, and I am here to throw you a lifeline. It's a new podcast called Start Here, where our experts give you on-the-ground access to the biggest stories of the day. We're going to give you some context, some clarity among the chaos. 20 minutes every weekday. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and start here. And we're pleased to be joined here on Powerhouse Politics by Congressman Mike Capuano, Democrat from Massachusetts, been serving since 1999, former mayor of the the great city of uh, Somerville, Massachusetts. Congressman, welcome. Always a pleasure. Nice talking to you again, Mike. So, Congressman, I want to I want to ask you this the, the same question that we started with with uh, with your challenger Ayanna Presley and uh, asked her for the elevator pitch and asked her just three things <laughs> that you would do differently than your opponent in this upcoming Democratic primary, uh, if, if re-elected to Congress? Um, well, the elevated pitch is quite simple. Um, right now, with Donald Trump in the White House and Republicans controlling the House and the Senate, 
Um, I think of all the times I've been in office right now, everything I believe in and most of my constituents believe in is under attack uh, all the time. It's just been unending. And right now we need the most experienced, most effective fighter we can have for the district and actually for every district in the country to make sure that Donald Trump does not win and does not succeed in changing this country. Uh, and I think based on my record, and not just because I say so, but because there's a lot of people who measure these things regularly and have no vested interest in me, uh, like the NAACP, the ACLU, the AFL-CIO, uh, Planned Parenthood, and on and on and on, they rate me at 100% pretty much all the time. Um, I think that uh, more than anything else, uh, anything I can say that hopefully would, should reassure uh, my constituents that I've been doing the job, that I've been doing it effectively, uh, and I am the most effective fighter that we can have against the Trump agenda. What does experience mean in practice? And, and, and specifically, what do you feel like you could do with, uh, with 10 terms in Congress under your belt that a freshman congresswoman wouldn't be able to do? Well, experience matters in everything. It matters in the media. It matters as a carpenter. Experience just does matter. Uh, it's not the only thing, but it does matter. Uh, in, in this particular case, with, with the, the time I have, mostly with the relationships I have built amongst my House colleagues, uh, I would be able to have a bigger voice at the table uh, simply because of seniority. And, and again, these are already my friends. I, I spent the first several years here making friends, building relationships, learning how the system works like we all do. Um, and and that's, that's really what experience means in this particular place. I don't have to start from the beginning. And I think that if Democrats take the House back, which I really think and hope we will, we're going to start off very quickly. We're going to do a transportation bill right away, an infrastructure bill. And when we do, you're going to want somebody at that table to take as much money as you can from Massachusetts and to make sure that our policies and our beliefs are upheld. We're going to do very quickly, we're going to do some immigration things uh, on, on TPS and on the Dreamers and on reuniting parents and children. Uh, and I think we're going to do very quickly on, on things like gun control. And, and, and again, uh, who do you want at the table when those things happen? They're going to happen within the first few months. And I would argue that everybody who cares about those issues and other issues that might come up would want somebody at the table who is, number one, has a long proven record of where I stand, and number two, has a pretty good proven record of the, of the abilities and capabilities I have to deliver for the district. You know, we travel a lot around the country talking to voters, and one thing that I always hear, regardless of someone's party affiliation, is that people in Washington just don't get it. Just don't get them. Just don't understand that the whole system needs a shakeup. And so you're talking about experience and seniority, but what do you say to someone who says we just need change? Um, bottom line is that, that is not a, that's not a new argument. Uh, that argument is made every two years by anyone challenging any incumbent at any level starting with the school committee to the city council to the mayor, state reps, and up and down the line. Uh, and sometimes it's valid. Uh, and I actually think that one of the reasons I like being here in Washington, protecting the people of the district, is I generally agree. The current Congress does not get it on behalf of the people of the 7th District. Uh, that's why I'm fighting so hard. That, you know, Donald Trump is president. We can't forget that. I don't think you'll find five people in my district who think he gets it but at least the direction that we want to go in. Uh, and I think that most people understand that that's exactly what I'm doing here, is I'm fighting the, what is going on in Washington right now. I would love to be here during a time when Washington was heading in a different direction uh, and, and trying to help people. Instead of the first thing this administration did was try to take health care away from millions of people. Uh, and the next thing they did is they attacked immigrants who were here legally, who are here with our blessing, who we welcomed into this country, and, and basically put them on a, on a, on a threatened status. 
so those are the kinds of things that, that I would say to anybody who argues that. I mean, generally, I don't disagree. Washington does not get it. And don't you want somebody here who understands that and has been fighting for, for those values from day one? And again, not just because I say so. I, I always point to third-party validators because it's not me saying what I've done. It's others who have no reason to say good or bad about me. They just tell you the facts. Uh, the NAACP, the ACLU, Planned Parenthood all rate me at 100%. Uh, and, and I think that probably says more than anything I can say. You know, your challenger is also talking about her unique experiences. She's an African-American woman. She says she represents the district better because she looks like the district. It's the only minority majority district in Massachusetts. What's your response to that? Well, first of all, everybody, I have have 800,000 constituents. Every single one of them has a different perspective in life. Uh, And part of an elected official's job is to try to cobble those together into one voice in Washington. Uh, As far as representing the district, the district has a majority of no one. There is no one who can represent this district because there is not a majority white, black, Hispanic, Asian. Uh, We are a a polyglot of people, and I happen to love that. So that if anybody wants to pretend that they can somehow represent it simply because of their own identity, no one can do that. Unless you can find me somebody who is one quarter white, one quarter black, one quarter Hispanic, and one quarter Asian. Um, and I'm sure there's somebody out there that fits that qualification, but that's um, just not a factor. And I just don't think that identity politics um, is, has a place in today's world. President Barack Obama did not run on that. Uh, Governor Deval Patrick did not run on that. They ran on the concept that any individual is capable of representing all of us if they share our values and are willing to fight for them. I'm curious your take uh, in in the spirit of constructed criticism of where the Democrats can go as to what the Democratic agenda needs to be and how it needs to be different. Starting with leadership, starting with Nancy Pelosi, should she be the next House Speaker? Are you committed to that? And what kind of different kind of agenda do you think you should push versus the last time the Democrats controlled the House? Well, the leadership stuff is going to happen later on. I am am fully focused on my own re-election. I have had my comments about Nancy Pelosi's leadership in the past. Uh, I think she's done a great job. Uh, At the same time, I do think that there needs to be opportunities for others to to take a leadership role. Uh, Number one, as far as the Democratic parties go, honestly, it, it is one of the beautiful things about the Democratic Party, yet one of the most difficult, is that we are so diverse. We're not just diverse in what we look like. We're also diverse in what we believe. Um, you know, some of the, most of us are pro-choice. There are some of us who are pro-life. Most of us are for gun control. Some people don't think that gun control is a top priority. Most of us are progressive values like Medicare for all. Uh, some of us are not. And, and honestly, as long as you try to help more people than you try to hurt, I think the Democratic Party should be welcoming to you. I happen to fall on the more progressive line of that, as I'm sure you know that, Rick. Uh, and, and I'm always pushing to things like Medicare for all, like more housing for people, better educational opportunities. And, and that, well, my job right now is to continue that fight, first of all, to stop Donald Trump. And then second of all, if we take the majority, is to try to help set that, set that agenda. And actually, I just mentioned to you all the items uh, that I would like to see done quickly. I would love to see a very good infrastructure bill done very quickly. I firmly believe that if Democrats don't do that, then we will have broken some of our promises to the American people. Uh, but I also believe we don't have to just do one thing. It would be easy to take care of the people in T- on TPS, Temporary Protective Status. That's a, it's a five-minute bill. It's, it's not a big deal to be able to 
stabilize that. Uh, we'd be able to reunite mothers and children. And again, I'd say five-minute bill to get through the House of Representatives, you know, have a, have a little debate and just put it on the floor. Uh, we could do in five minutes, we can take care of the dreamers. We can do in five minutes some sensible gun control. Now, none of that would be everything I want, but it's a start and it's a beginning and it gets it helps people immediately. It sets our agenda. It tells America the things we want to do. And then we can then we can get to work on the more difficult things like comprehensive immigration reform, a full blown change uh, of the economic policies in this country. Uh, and I would argue in Medicare for all, I would, we need to fix our health care system, even though I'm proud that I voted for the ACA doing everything I can to protect it. We all know it needs to be fixed. And we all know, as far as I was concerned, that wasn't the end. That was the beginning. It was next step in the, in the, in the fight towards Medicare for everybody. So for me, uh, I, I agree, Democrats, we will have our internal family fights on exactly how we get this done. Uh, but I do think we will, we will show America very quickly that we are not the same as the Republicans who are running this country right now. Even before the midterms, it's possible that Democrats have a whole lot of leverage when the government funding runs out again uh, the end of September. Do you think there's a moment? Is there a, is there a play to be had there? Should Democrats use some of that leverage, maybe um, threaten a shutdown like we've seen in the past over some of these immigration issues or the other topics you're talking about? It's, there's always a possibility, but we don't have that leverage in the House. In the House, a simple majority wins. Uh, so we do not have that leverage. The Senate rules sometimes. If they stick together. If, if what? The Republicans if Republicans stick exactly. together. And, and they have in the past. And again, that's, that's a game that you have to play as you get closer to the specific date and see what bills are on the floor. The concept we have done in the past um, sometimes and sometimes we have not. And again, it's not a singular decision to be made by me. I happen to believe in hardball politics. I don't have any problem with that. But it also can't be done just for the sake of hardball politics. It has to be done with a not just a goal, but with a hope, an honest hope that you can actually achieve that goal. And you can't make that determination until we get later. And let's be honest, it is election season. You know, by October, my election will be over because no Republican is going to win this seat. I'm not going to say there is a Republican candidate. But, you know, so that being the case, for anybody in this seat, it will be relatively easy to, to make a difficult decision. But most other members of Congress, both in the House and the Senate, are going to have an election expectation in November, and they're going to have to answer to the voters immediately for any short-term problems that might cause. All of that plays into it. So I, would, I personally would never take a tactic off the table, but I also wouldn't commit to a tactic until we actually see what the battle is and what we're fighting on and trying to take a measure of the people who would have to be on our team to make that tactic succeed. Congressman, your district, Cambridge, Somerville, up through uh, up through Boston, um, a lot of diverse neighborhoods, as you mentioned, one of the most progressive districts in the country. I remember talking to you years ago about primary challenges, and you mentioned to me that um, every every once in a while, someone would make themselves known and said, "I want to, I want, I want your seat," and you'd say, "Well, that's nice. I'm not going to help you <laughs> in game on." But but despite all of that, none of them really seriously materialized until this. This seems like the most serious primary challenge you've had in in two decades i'm curious if you think there's something just different about this moment about this candidate about ayanna presley that has made this into something where you're you're in you're in a fight sure not 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 the candidate so much as the moment as i said (laughs) this is the most difficult time i've seen in politics in my lifetime with donald trump and the way he's driving this agenda um, it was one thing when the, some of the Republicans seemed to have some courage and were willing to stand up to them. As we sit here today, that's not the case. 
Um, he has completely taken over the Republican Party. We can see that every single day of the week. He has driven out a lot of the moderate Republicans who might have stood against him, uh, and pretty obviously some of them, Jeff Flake and others. Uh, and the Republican Party is dominated by the Trump agenda. So I, I think the moment, absolutely, people are angry. I don't blame them. So am I. Uh, but you don't take out your anger by punching yourself in the face. Uh, you take out your anger by finding the people you're angry about and take them out. So, you know, for me, uh, absolutely, the, the, the situation is it's more different than I've ever seen. It's always a little different. But this particular year, people are particularly angry about a lot of different things, starting with the Trump agenda. Uh, I share that anger. So that's one of the reasons I understand it. That's one of the reasons I've been running so hard for so many months. Um, it is a different time in American history. And I hope that as many Americans as, as I can get out, get out and vote. I've always believed that there are more people that share my values and the values that I represent in the 7th District than there are that share the Donald Trump values. So my hope is that that anger turns into action and that action turns into voting and that voting is done in a thoughtful manner. We talk to Democrats, though, who are angry with the Democratic Party, not just angry with President Trump. So if you were in charge of the Democratic Party, if you were the new the new Speaker of the House with a Democrat majority, what's one thing you would do different with the party? I don't really know because honestly, the Democratic Party as a as a as an entity has never helped me. Uh, I, 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 they're, they're, they're there, they're fine, they're mostly there from what I see to help a presidential candidate. Um, so I really don't. I've never really been involved in Democratic Party. Um, politics, number one. As far as what the Democrats do in the House, I think i got to go back to the agenda that I mentioned earlier. We need to enact laws and do it quickly, uh, some laws, the ones that are easier to do, and do it quickly to prove to America that we mean what we say, that we actually can govern, and, and to be honest about it. Things like, look, comprehensive immigration reform is going to take a little while. Even, amongst, even if we had all the seats in the House, we have differences amongst our party. There is nothing wrong people having different opinions. No one has a lot on what's right. And that includes me. I have strong opinions. I'm willing to fight for them. But I'm also willing to compromise with people that share the general value. Now, what that means, you don't know until you get to the table. And, and so for me, um, I, I, if I was, if I were in the democratic world, I would simply make sure that we get quickly to work to get the things done that America wants done, to prove that we can govern, to prove that we can work cooperatively with others, uh, and to do actually address the issues that America wants us to address. All right. Mike Capuano, congressman uh, from Massachusetts, uh, the, from the great city of Somerville. Thank you so much for, for joining us, and uh, good luck with the primary and Thanks beyond. So Thank you very much. So, Mary Alice, I, this, to me, was a, a great conversation to have, particularly in a podcast, because... You can actually just hear it in their voices, in, in their accents, in the turns of phrase. I mean, such different perspectives that these two candidates bring and a real battle over what kind of person you'd want to represent. Uh, you, you, we, we gave both candidates an opportunity to, to, to stake out some policy differences, and I don't think I heard one. I don't think I heard one thing from either Ayanna Presley or Mike Capuano who says, I would vote differently than my my primary opponent. But we did hear a lot about why their backgrounds and perspectives are different, whether that's Ayanna Presley talking about being an African-American woman or Mike Capuano talking about being an, an established member of Congress. And different perspectives on what it means to be a leader. Mike Capuano is making an argument that he will be a better leader because he will be senior in Congress. He could be a chairman if they take over the House. He has relationships to get things done. And Ayanna Presley is saying 
being a leader is more than just being involved in the halls of Congress, being an activist back at home, uh, organizing new programming at home, getting a community engaged, um, having a more active voter base. There's a different idea of what uh, congressional leadership looks like and the role of a member. And to broaden out the conversation, I mean, this is not a district that has any danger of going to Republicans, as as Capuano mentioned. They're they're the only nominal opposition typically. Uh, so the Democrats have this seat. This isn't about a pickup, but it is about what the part, what image the party projects in this year. And there are so many stories like Ayanna Presley's of. Um, younger women who are running, a lot of them for the first time. Presley's actually been a city councilor for a while, but they're getting off the sidelines, getting involved in politics because of what they see out there. And they want their voices and their stories to be told, to be represented. And at the same time, there's a generation of politicians uh, who are in office right now. You put Capuano and Pelosi even in this category who say, put us back. We want to be back in power. We've been there before. We know how to get it done. And we need to we need to actually try to do some governing, exercise some oversight. Uh, it's not enough just to be angry about things. We have to actually get things done. Uh, that That's an interesting argument that I think says a lot about where the party is right now, and that could be a determinative one as to whether voters decide they want Democrats back in control is what kind of person and people they put forward as their candidates. And there will continue to be a conversation about identity politics. It's almost used now as a dig, almost a derogatory term that you're sort of going low if you're if you're asking for someone's vote because of your race or gender. On the other hand, there is an argument to voters that you could bring different perspective, different experiences because of race, gender, background. And I think that we will continue to watch voters grapple with that question. Who do they want representing them? Even if they might vote the same on big ticket items, could they bring a different perspective to the table, which is important? All right. That does it for this special edition, 100 Days Out from the Midterms, 18 for 18 edition of Powerhouse Politics. Thank you to Mary Alice Parks. Special thanks to our producing team, including Susie Liu, Trevor Hastings, Angie Yak, and Avery Miller. We'll be back next time with another edition of Powerhouse Politics.